Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Creative Processing Podcast. My name is Joe Gordon Levitt. This is our last episode of the season. We set out to make 10 of these. This is the 10th one. If you're listening to this, thank you. That's awesome. I've been. I've been sincerely enjoying this. I hope you can tell when you listen. Like I've really had a good time doing this. It's been something new for me that I've just gotten a lot of fulfillment out of and had a lot of fun. Learned a thing or two. I, I I've said this before. It bears repeating. I feel like the podcasting as a format is just because it's long form. You can actually get into the nuances and and uh, have some depth in, in conversation and discussion, which is. You know, in my experience, when you're usually doing interviews or press or whatever, uh, it's all so soundbite-driven. And, and, of course, on social media, everything is so scatterbrained. So I've, I've just really enjoyed playing in this medium, and I really appreciate the audience that this show has gathered. But um, for now, let's, uh, let's do this last episode. The idea of this show is that we have a conversation about the creative process, uh, and it's all inspired by one question. And that question comes from you out there on the internet asking questions. And then I find a guest that I think will be uh, good to answer that question and have a conversation about it. So our guest this week is Jessica Alba. She is uh, someone you probably know. She's a fantastic actress and an incredibly successful entrepreneur. She's a co-founder of The Honest Company, which is a company that I personally... uh, patronize as a dad (laughs) um they make all kinds of uh things but um i buy their diapers but yeah it's 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 been really impressive to me to see her take this company uh which has been not only extremely successful and lucrative but also something that's positive she's also an actress you've probably seen her in in any number of movies uh, Honey, Into the Blue, Good Luck Chuck, Fantastic Four, Sin City. I was in Sin City Part 2. That's where she and I first got to know each other. Um, but she's just an, an incredible hard worker, an incredibly talented, smart, such a cool person. She's done so much and continues to every day, which is actually uh, a big part of what I think makes her uh, really good to answer this question. This episode's question comes from Rochelle Connery from Anchorage, Alaska. And she asked... Any hints on how to push myself to achieve more than just good enough? So Jessica's such an overachiever. <laughs> she's not only a highly successful actress, she's uh, you know, co-founded this very successful company and clearly not a person that just settles for quote-unquote good enough. So it was it was really interesting talking to her about what that means to her, how she does what she does, but also like what what is good enough? And in fact, when is the kind of perfectionism that's always pushing you to go past good enough and the enemy of creativity? I've, I've heard it said. Um, what is it? Actually, I think Ryan might have said this in, in the first episode that perfection is the enemy of good or great is the enemy of good or something like that. Um, but if you never are willing to accept something as good enough, then you might never finish anything. and You just endlessly tweak and tweak and tweak. Um, but we, we talked about acting. We talked about business. It was really great to get her perspective on her career, on her life, on her work, on her upbringing. Anyway, I don't want to talk too much more about it because I just want to get to her and I've been talking long enough. So... Without anything more from me, let's just uh, let's get to it, ladies and gentlemen. Jessica Alba. Jessica, thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. So, um, 
the idea here is I'm going to ask a question. So about, do you usually go to people's houses or like do you have a normal recording studio? I have a place in my house. We've oh. done a bunch of them there. Nice, nice. Um, and then we did one actually in Switzerland, in Locarno, Switzerland, because uh, there's a film festival there. That's fun. Uh, it, it was fun and it was actually a surprisingly beautiful studio in this hundred-year-old building that had been restored into a recording studio. So is it your best one? Um, no, this is going to be my best one. <laughs> okay, of <course>. good. <laughs> of course, in Cash's man cave. <laughs> yeah. This is the last one, by the way. Oh, really? This is the last one we're going to do. We're, we set out to do 10, but this is the, so the last season of the first one. batch. Season yeah. one. This is the, you're the closer of season one. Nice. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask a question that I think you'll be suited to answer, and then we'll go from there. Okay. All right. Questions from Rochelle Connery from Anchorage, Alaska. And she asks, any hints on how to push myself to achieve more than just good enough? So I thought mm. you'd be good at answering this because from what I know of you and I, you know, we, we're not like super fast friends, but I've gotten to know you a bit over the years and you push yourself. You, you like to mm-hmm. get a lot done. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just let you take a first crack at this how to push yourself to achieve more than good enough, and then we'll go from there. I feel like a lot of that has to do with, I think there's a combination of nature and nurture. Like, I don't know if you can teach someone to be ambitious. That's so funny. Nature and nurture keeps coming up in these conversations. Yeah, and I think that you have to kind of look at how comfortable your life is and your quality of life. And if you're fine being comfortable, then great. You know, I, I feel like I'm never comfortable. And mm-hmm. so I only really function well when I'm under an unusual amount of pressure and stress. That's when I find my sort of like my personal balance. That's where my equilibrium lives. So I think it's just different for everyone. Yeah, that you and I have that in common to a degree. How does that apply in particular when you're creating something, whether it's creating- or relationships? Yeah, well, sure, we, we could talk about that too. That's but it's a like show a, called that's Creative a whole Processing. Season. Yeah, yeah, that we'll do the love season Living next with season. Those people. This one's about creativity. Yeah. Um, so, like, whether it's art, you're you know acting or producing a movie, or it's building a business. How so did, for so so I, did, I don't even know if I answered the question. So for Anchorage, um, what's her name? Rochelle. Rochelle. So Rochelle from Anchorage. Uh, good enough. Um, I think it's just you looking in the mirror every day, and are you happy with who you're looking at? And if something inside of you feels like there's more there, there, then you have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone, and. I think you have to allow yourself to fail. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that once you get over the fear of failure, then you will start to find what your happiness or where your happiness lies and if good enough is sufficient or not. Mm -hmm. So the words good enough can mean a lot of different things. I want to ask in terms of both, sort of you have your artist side and your entrepreneur side. How do you think of good enough in terms of specifically the the art that you make? Do you ever feel like a movie's I've, good enough? Yeah, you know, 
Um, <laughs> okay, so then when it now now applying to so in business we call it the eighty twenty rule. So it's like eighty percent there, twenty percent is just not. But if wait, you, I don't know this rule. So oh, really? You always teach me a lot about business. Oh, I'm okay. just starting to try to focus on. So business. this is like uh, it's like n- there's never the idea of perfection. Like if you if you wait for perfection, then you'll never create anything, mm-hmm. and nothing will ever happen. You know, you'll just constantly tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak. So usually we try to launch with, you know, we're relaunching a, a new web platform. It's been a beast. Um, but mm-hmm. it's like 80-20. It's like not 100% everything that I want it to be, but it's good enough right. to launch. And then once you launch, you learn. And then as you learn, you can modify as you go. Right. And what's nice about being a smaller, scrappier business is you can quickly make those types of changes, and you don't have to go through all, you know all this bureaucracy to to move and 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 improve. So then, how do you set the the your like goals of what you think? Okay, this is what I want to achieve. This will be good enough for me. Do you set that out before? Yeah. So, so when it comes to like acting and producing, I just got into producing and it's funny, like producing, I feel like is so nice because at least you can set yourself up to have a more successful outcome because you have your hands in many different buckets. Whereas when you're just an actor for hire, you know, you're like, Gumby. I mean, you're sort of like, <laughs> you know, they they manipulate and mold and mm-hmm. shift and shape you. Yeah. However, the editor of the day feels like doing that, yeah. or the producer, or the director, or whoever yeah. is in the editing room giving notes. And um, I'm poking. I'm not even Gumby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the second guy. I'm the orange And they donkey. like melt down yeah. and yeah. then they come back up. Um, and I just feel like. Because so little of what you can control ends up on screen, I had to let go of any idea of my or any of my ideas of what I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's also just like people's perception on who how they want to see you. Yeah, and um, if they don't, if they want to see you a certain way, they're just gonna turn you into that. So as long as the check cleared, I was like, great. <laughs> good enough. Good enough. <laughs> okay. And I, you know, it's a lot better than any other job that I could ever imagine doing. Right. And then... But that wasn't enough for you to do in totality. Because you're no. like, this might be good enough, but I No, that's what I mean. Yeah. This. And then and then now I know that, like, as a producer, you can set yourself up for for success because you can have say in the final cut and the edits and the casting and you know choosing directors and writers and and also having input on you know where the characters go and develop and and its storylines and stuff and so it's it's a for me it's a, as a creative person it's um much more empowering and and I feel more secure I also feel like you just have to be in the moment completely and make the most of that moment and let go also of what you think this could be or or even have any attachment to the final outcome. And that is where I found that I get the most out of the creative process. Like I'm never, I used to only think about the opening weekend. 
And now all I think about is in this moment, right now, before lunch, Mm -hmm. I have two hours to say these words. Mm -hmm. Where can we go? Yeah. Let's play. How's he going to feel to do it? Yeah, let's let's find it. Let's let's play. Let's do something. Let's just be open to what can happen. That's interesting. So that almost sounds like to to the heart of this question of how do you push yourself past good enough is almost taking your focus off of the end result and focusing more on the, the process. The process. Mm-hmm. There you go. So how do you do that? It's, that can be very difficult to not obsess over well what are people going to think of it is it how is it going to do on opening weekend like what yeah i don't care how do you not care it's hard not to care it's hard not to care and i think i've you're right and i have a very very privileged reality which is i'm comfortable enough financially where i don't have to care Mm -hmm. and i also feel good enough about my life choices that my identity isn't tied up in it. And so I can walk through the world and I feel good every day when I wake up and I look in the mirror and I feel like I've made choices that with conviction that are, you know, good or bad, I'm okay with me. And um, financially, if it doesn't open or if it does open, it's not gonna rock my world. Right. Because I was, I grew up with no money. And when you have no money, you realize how how much it fucking sucks to have no money and how stressful it is and how all-consuming it can be to just live paycheck to paycheck. It is a horrible feeling. Um, and that's the majority of people in this country. And that's how I grew up, and I hated yeah. it so much. Now, maybe I just have a different – I had a different experience with it that it, it was hard for me to – relax or be okay without the security, having that financial security. So Mm -hmm. I needed the financial security just to like, just to have a solid foundation. So then I can dream and create and become whatever it is that I wanted to. So Mm -hmm. that was always my goal. So I always lived below um, sort of my means, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, I, I just never was, was um, trying to be too flashy. I was never spending a shit ton of money. Um, I was always kind of living pretty even, mm-hmm. um, and if anything, more modestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saved a lot of money, and and that way it gave me security to kind of make you know choices that that I I guess I didn't feel like I needed to work. Right. You know. Which and and so. So it, then, it, so then in the business, you know, where I think people like you who I have always respected and I've always wanted to work with. I always felt kind of, um, I wouldn't say ashamed, but I wasn't making creative choices. I was making financial choices with right. my career. And I, and I wasn't friends with, you know, people in Hollywood, uh, my, you know, that were around my age because I just, I don't know, I guess I just didn't, I'm awkward. So I just, I'm not like going up to people and talking to people. But I always felt really judged. And I remember like when I first um, presented at the Oscars, I was like, oh God, I don't belong here. Why am I here? Like all these people are real artists and I've had to, you know, really make financial decisions in my career. And, And I never got to flex my muscles as a creative person, but they all probably think I'm just like 
a hack and that I don't even know what I'm doing and and like I'm not good and um you know and so I was always I, I just always felt really insecure especially around people I think my age so <clears throat> not I mean it's fine it's like it's fine it was it was um fun I had fun and I got to make a good living and I'm grateful and I got to travel the world and all of that but I definitely felt in my in my stomach. I I was nauseous every night because I was like, this is just not the type of art or or the creative fulfillment that I know this this should be. Yeah. And and I felt uh, like I was living this um, sort of like living in this what is it called? Du- not uh, were you living on this side and this side like. A dichotomy. Yeah, of 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 having to do something that's purely, you know, financial, and then also knowing that the medium is meant to be a creative medium. Right. And I know I have that inside. It was like it was just really, it was hard. Um, so I stopped. I stopped for like eleven years, ten years. Wow, that's that's a fascinating story, and I I would probably have to. I've always been a fan of yours, actually, and I don't think I ever really. Ha- well, yeah, <laughs> but um, I, because I, I, I think I have like a, I sort of keep track of people that have been doing it since they were young. Because I, same, did it since I do, I, was young. I do too. You know, yeah, because you, I started when I was six. How old were you? When I you was, started? I was twelve. Okay, yeah, so yeah, and um, but I wasn't famous when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I was just like a working kid actor. Yeah, me too. But I, I probably, if I'm being honest with myself, have to admit that I do have the thing you're talking about of harboring some amount of judgment towards movies that are geared, that are, that are clearly geared strictly at making money. Mm-hmm. Um, Just but, like fun you know. popcorn movies. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're, you can't go too deep in plot. You can't go too deep in character. It's really just about a fun movie that, audiences globally will love and if it's too complicated because of even just the language barrier Mm -hmm. it makes it hard for translation and so it actually is better like the less you know even the dialogue needs to be very simple everything is very simple right so it could carry globally to many different markets and and you know i understand it from a business perspective yeah but if that is all you're doing yeah it feels like I know how people were judging me. And I remember Tom Hanks came up to me at backstage at the Oscars and I was like, he was like, it's okay. He was like, I'll stand next to you. And he was like, so nice. And, um, and I was like, I just feel really, you know, it's crazy being here. He was like, don't worry. We're all the, he's like, we're all the same. Like, he was like basically trying to say like everybody's insecure and everybody feels overwhelmed by this experience. Well, that's that's definitely and that true. was really cool. Um, he's just the classiest, he nicest really is. guy. He's the nicest I've guy ever. I've met him a couple times and had that same feeling about him. Yeah, uh, and he's fun on game night too. <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> One of the things that reminds me though of what you're saying is, so I was on a a TV sitcom, Third Rock from the Sun, for five years, five and a half. Mm-hmm. Loved doing it. Loved my fellow castmates. Oh my God, they're so, felt, all those actors are so good. They're awesome. And I felt very creatively fulfilled and stimulated, and I learned so much from Was that everybody. multicam? 
Yeah, like classic sitcom, wow. four cameras in front of a live studio that audience. That is so terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I got very used to it. Oh, God, that would make me throw up. Yeah, I was nervous, I think, doing it at more at first. it was. I had to get used to the notion that like people are going to laugh and you have to like wait for them to stop laughing. I mean, and, it's like, like theater, the right? It is like theater. And, <sighs> and, and actually, all the actors on that show were theater actors. John Lithgow comes from the theater, Kristen Johnson, French Stewart, Jane Curtin. They all are theater actors. And I had never acted in theater because I grew up in the suburbs of LA working in TV and commercials and movies and things. So Mm -hmm. I had not done any theater. So I learned a lot about what it means to perform in front of an audience from them. So I had a really wonderful experience with them for years. However, the show went on for six years, Mm -hmm. which for most shows I think is too long. People I get agree. people get burnt out. I think they and, should only go for three years. Yeah, and or like I love in in the UK, you know, a season of a show is six episodes. And it's oh my great. god, it's so much better. <laughs> yeah, like Fleabag is two seasons, six episodes each. Brilliant, just yeah, perfect. Right. But you know, we were doing twenty two episodes, sometimes yeah. more. Twenty six episodes. I remember we did one season. Oh my and, god. And so by I what I remember is by the. Fourth year, I would say, uh, and this isn't to say that the show's not good in its fourth year and people, if you like episodes in the fourth season, that's great. But the subjective ex- experience of doing it for me was I was no longer feeling much about it. And it was oh, something yeah. I had to like, I was still doing and I felt like grateful to get to keep doing it and everything, but it, it I wasn't getting the same kind of like joy and spark that I was in years past. And so I would go home and, and make music. And it wasn't anything I was pursuing professionally or anything. I just loved doing it. And that gave me that feeling that I craved so much um, of the excitement of making something and, mm-hmm. and like getting excited about what I'm making and feeling like I'm getting to express myself. And so I like just recorded tons of songs that were never like, I've never put out, I've never like shown them to almost anybody. But, like, I have all these songs that I made when I was, like, yeah, 18 years old. But I think, so for a lot of people doing music or doing uh, storytelling, art, whatever it is that they like to do creatively, isn't necessarily tied up in their livelihood. Um, But it's still something that they feel the urge to do mm-hmm. and and that's is, why you created your platform well exactly yeah that's that is a lot of what hit record is about because i started hit record before it was even a platform it was just a like when i couldn't get a job there was a there was like a a, a good long period after i quit acting for a while i went to college and when i tried to get back into it i couldn't get a job where'd and you that's, go to school to Columbia, New York. Oh, that's fun. Um, I always wanted to go to college and live in New York. Yeah. Like, that is my dream. I'm like my other person, fake self. That's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really loved doing it. That And I think going, so cool. going somewhere else and living somewhere else and going to college was... And New York, you can you can still have your anonymity, like, you even if you're famous. Yeah, I definitely recommend to anybody moving away, if you can. Not, obviously, not everybody can, but... Um, I would, I'd recommend moving to New York in your 20s. Yeah. In your late teens and early 20s, it's the best. But it doesn't have to be New York. I think just, just moving to any new place. Any new place in your 20s. I think people... I think it's... For young people, I think it's important to uh, live in an environment where you're forced to be in close proximity with 
different types of people. Yeah. So from different economic backgrounds and cultures, I think it's really easy to live in uh, a certain zone when you're not living in a city. And in a city, your life is interrupted. Right. Regardless of who you are and how much you have. Yeah. And, and the I, denser the city, the more those interruptions will occur. Yeah. And I think that's just so good for the hum- for your character to treat, yeah. you know, you learn about empathy and compassion and those important things you need in life. But so, the, I mean, that gets back to the, the heart of this question of where does that need come from? The need to push yourself past who you currently are, to learn more, to expose yourself to more, to grow. You think that need is just inherent in you or is that something you cultivate you know i became a born-again christian when i was 12 i didn't know that yeah um and i think it was out so it was to answer this question i think i i was always wondering why i was here and Mm -hmm. i felt like when i was little i was like why like i really questioned I guess I was going through an existential crisis when I was like, I remember the first sort of like awakening was when I was like three or four. Yeah. And I was just sort of like, I felt like I was born into the wrong family uh-huh. <laughs> because I was so different. Uh, the way my brain connected things and process information and how I felt uh, about the world was is so different to the way that I was raised and, and from the way my my family is. And so I was like, who, like, I'm pretty sure I was born into the wrong family. And what if I got switched at the hospital? I was like, there's no way these people are my, are my, I'm just so different to them. And I felt like such an alien my whole life. Um, And then when I was around 12, I was always trying to seek a purpose for myself, a reason, because I was like, there's no way that I I always had this restlessness. And I was like, there's no way that this like, just trying to make ends meet and and living paycheck to paycheck is, is what my life is going to be. There's just no way. And so I thought it was God, you know, I was like, I was going to find the answer in, in the Bible and God and Jesus and that sort of like born again Christian thing. Um, I didn't, I did, you know, always have a spiritual relationship and I always kind of had a thing, you know, with God and, and I used to, you know, I've seen angels and different spirits when I was little mm-hmm. and things. And so I always knew there was like a spiritual thing there. And I, and I thought it was the, you know, the church and I realized that it isn't, but I guess I've always felt like we're not here for no reason at all. And everyone has a purpose and it, you know, big or small is, it doesn't really matter. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I just never even questioned that people wouldn't think that way. Yeah. So you're describing from such an early age having this not necessarily pleasant feeling Mm-mm. pushing you. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I here? Or like, what is my purpose? Yeah. Do you ever have moments, though, where that feeling subsides to some degree and you're like, I don't feel like pushing any harder. I just want to, I don't want to push. I don't know if it's something I have control over, to be honest with you. Yeah, wow. That's interesting. Because like, because this question is like, how do you push yourself past good enough, right? And I, 
I think you're answering really honestly. And I guess if I had to answer honestly, I might say the same. Like when I, I, when I have those moments where I push myself past what seems like just good enough, it's not necessarily that it's because I've got some technique or I've got some ability to push myself that way. It's usually because I feel this need to do it. And I don't, I don't know that I could say that that need is something that I myself have generated. It's like, right. it's just kind of. It is what it is. Yeah, I find it there and I'm dealing with it. It's funny because I get, it's actually, I think, why I'm difficult to probably live with and <laughs> work with is um, to me, like, if you just look at anything and you're like, can you be replaced by a robot? Mm-hmm. And if something can be automated and if you can teach a machine how to do something and, and, it, and it is sort of like just going through mo- the motions, mm-hmm. then what's the point of having a person do it? And so for me, I always look at or think about it's like the details. The details matter. The details are the thing that make it different <clears throat> and special. Mm-hmm. And the details make it so that you can't replicate it. Because the process of what it took for you to even make that decision, and then that one decision that you make that was such a human detail, a human in the moment emotional detail, that is something that a, I don't know, a machine can't replicate. And yeah. that to me is what makes things like I'm always gravitating towards the restaurant where it's like the recipes that were passed down from, you know, the it, like an Indian restaurant. It's like the the mother, the grandmother, the great grandmother and you know, they passed it down and this is these are these like five classic classic old school recipes or like you know, all the food that I like to eat are usually, it's the detail of like some old school technique or tactic. It's the mindfulness of I'm going to cut things this way and not that way mm-hmm. where a machine couldn't replicate it, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I'm always attracted to like materials and things that are a little off. Yeah. It's, it's um, this, the human imperfections. It's called wabi sabi. It's this Japanese vo- right, right. philosophy that I. This is something I've heard of and never learned a ton about. What? But, I, but I, it's I everything. An, I have an intuition that I read, like, it's a lot of how I feel as well. Yeah. It's, um, I guess, it's the perfection of imperfections and it's the human hand and it's things that are worn and have life. And I'm always attracted to that. I definitely am too. In movies, in music. And it's those human imperfections because oftentimes in those flaws, that's where you feel the most connected to the people. Yes. And that's why I always, whenever it's funny, whenever, um, when we're, when we're shooting, whenever we're doing, you know, any kind of scene, I always ask the writers and I always ask the director, like, can we just like, just have the camera rolling while we're just doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Because in just watching someone do stuff, you learn so much about them pouring mm. a, a glass of water or them drinking something or them, you know, eating popcorn and, and it falls out. Do they pick it up and eat it off mm-hmm. the ground or they leave it yes. there or they throw it? You know what I mean? But like that tells you so much more than but yeah. who cares? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm and so I'm always trying to infuse 
humanity into, you know, what I'm doing now. And now I actually have some kind of say, mm -hmm. uh, which is nice. And they're always like, oh, the episode's only this long. You know, they're always yeah, like, sure. we only have so much time. Yeah. And I'm like, but if you watch like all the, those dope, like old school, like Jim Cameron movies or um, Spielberg movies, the thing that makes them, even though they're these big commercial movies that everyone loved, it was always these little like weird quirks that they yeah. would find in the leads, in the in the um, antagonists and the protagonists and everything. I wonder if what we're talking about with the sort of human imperfections and you, you said the details mm -hmm. leads to a certain kind of answer to this question of, I wonder of like... Paying attention to the details. Paying attention to the details and yeah. not getting wrapped up in like, is the whole thing going to be good enough? Like, what's it going to be like if you kind of take your focus off of that macro level and just zoom in on the details on what and see like, oh, this will make it beautiful to me. And this little detail actually. This moment like, and this moment yeah. and this moment and that moment. Yes. Because those add up. Yeah, exactly. Well, that that is what makes, like you said, like even a huge blockbuster like a Spielberg movie, like Jaws or whatever. Jaws is Jaws because of the great, more subtle dialogue scenes. The reason you're so terrified by that shark is not because the shark is so terrifying. It's because you care about the characters. And the reason you care about the characters is because those longer dialogue scenes are so well observed and so well acted and, and Spielberg's so good at capturing those little human things. It was all about that. It's all about the thing that made each one of them. You felt like they were all individual yeah. people yeah. and it wasn't just said person saying two lines like even the three line actor yeah you would get something about who they were as a person mm -hmm. every time right and it's the details and it's the details yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so you're you know in this leadership position you've founded this company the honest company doing great things quite successful there's a lot of people now all trying to like row in the same direction, so to speak. That's and, so hard to do. And the success of any company has to do with, is the company able to sort of push itself past good enough, right? Well, I think the success of a company really is about alignment. Okay. So how do you achieve that? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. It's a freaking battle every single day mm -hmm. because everybody has a different way that they operate and move through the world mm -hmm. and everyone has a different way of processing information and what makes someone tick is different than what makes someone else I mean if I've learned anything from therapy couples therapy not my individual therapy um, it what it is that Cash and I could be saying the exact same thing, and it means two completely different things to each one of us. Mm -hmm. And the way that people understand and receive information and their thoughts and ideas about what is happening, it's all based off of you know their childhood <laughs> and <laughs> their experiences in the world mm -hmm. and... And, and you have to, I guess, as a, as a leader, 
you have to understand the context that other people are operating in. Right. And if you don't, then you're going to be very frustrated. Right. Um, there are a bunch of different ways that companies try to level the playing field and create empathy so that you can try and understand the context of your coworkers because it is an actual thing inside of organizations of like you will not be productive unless you have some idea of um, or, or try and have empathy knowing that people no two people are the same. Yeah. So there's something called MBTI, which is like a test that everyone, you know, a lot of people in the company take. Is this like a, like a personality test? It's a personality or, test. Yeah. And, and, and like they're... Myers-Briggs, like, is it the yeah, same as that? Yeah. The Myers-Briggs test. Yes. Like personality test. Yeah. And, they, and it's flawed, right? It's yeah. a flawed system because people are are like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Like right. it's never black and white. And, and this isn't the kind of test where you pass it or fail it. This no, is like, no. It's just you answer questions. You're, and then it's it, like you're an introvert. Yeah. With a little bit of extrovert, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm an introvert, but on the scale of zero to say a hundred, I'm probably an introvert, like at 40%. Like some people are an introvert at zero. Yeah. Some people are an introvert at 50%. Some people are an introvert at a hundred. Mm -hmm. And so it just, there's, there's levels, right? Yeah. So it tells you introvert, extrovert. It talks about how you process information, how you like to receive information, like what gets on your nerves. Yeah. Things, important stuff. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to be collaborating, you have to understand yeah, that I mean, stuff I was, about I, other people. I, I came home after the first time that I did one of these and I was like, Cash, you should take it too <laughs> yeah. so that we can, we can like understand. I can then not get frustrated when you're doing certain things and hopefully you won't get frustrated when I do certain things because then you just know that that's just who, that this is my character. This is the way that I process information and this is yours. He's not having it. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I like, I, again, I'm always into continuous improvement. I'm always trying to be better because I know I'm very flawed as a person. Um, but I um, we, we all are. All of us are. And it, it, anybody I might that says tip the not. scale a little bit. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I might you, yeah, okay, fine. I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, You're extra fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think having a little bit of context and compassion goes a long way in any way that you're collaborating but especially in creativity yeah because what where my mind goes with what you're talking about is uh, in terms of this question of like pushing oneself past good enough is like well everybody's going to have a different idea of what good enough is you mentioned like alignment what you mean by alignment is how do you get everybody to have the same... Move in the same direction. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I guess a lot of that has to do with everybody having the same notion of what is good enough. Where are we all aiming? I don't know if that if that is... Yeah, yeah. I guess it is. <laughs> because you're saying some people, like say you're collaborating on a song. Yeah. Some people can think that me just being a warm body here is good enough. Mm -hmm. And then you're saying, well, no, I actually, your job in my eyes is for you to actually record, like press record <laughs> and, and record it. And on top of that, I 
hope that, you know, you're checking the sounds to make sure that everything is at the volume it needs to be at. Yeah. Where said person can think that him just showing up today or her uh, is good enough. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True story. I believe it. <laughs> I mean, you can, when you're on a set, you see a lot of people just sort of standing around. Yeah, it's true. And when you're in an office, same For thing. For sure. You're like, how, I think this is the seventh time I've seen you get a handful of cereal. Mm-hmm. And it's um, so what do you 11 a.m. What do you do? Do you have a conversation with that person? Do you, you know, you- I think if they're productive and if they're pulling their weight, um, there needs to be some, I think it's really hard to implement accountability. And I think there needs to be consequences mm-hmm. to people not like pulling their weight. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also hard to enforce. Especially in a creative collaboration. Especially when, in any world. Well, definitely in any world. But like when, when it comes to like we're trying to, like you said, make a song or like make a story together, you know, consequences won't necessarily work as well because you can't have someone, some, someone's not going to do really be their creative best if they're doing it under threat of consequences, right? They're going to be their creative best. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it depends. If, you're, if your goal is on Tuesday, we need to have lyrics. Mm-hmm. By Thursday, we need to have a hook. Mm-hmm. By the following Monday, we should have two or three melodies that mm-hmm. we feel good about. Mm-hmm. Whoever's in charge of that, if you're not getting there, then it's like, then you're not the right person to collaborate with because this is how we're going to do it. Otherwise, we're all just going to sit here and fucking look at each other and strum a guitar. Mm-hmm. You know? So setting a timeline. I think right. if, if, you are, if you have a goal. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just, what are you doing? Yeah. That reminds me of on Saturday Night Live, Lauren Michaels, who started Saturday Night Live, says this thing that I think is so <laughs> profound in its ways. Like He says, we don't put on our show because it's ready. We put on our show because it's Saturday night at 11.30 p.m. And so, which is just to say like what you're saying, that a timeline can be massive. I think a timeline, sorry, I'm pouring water. For all you listeners, pouring water. Um, (laughs) I think a timeline applied to anything. And I actually think I've seen the most creativity inside of boundaries. Yep. I think a timeline and boundaries force you to be even more creative. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have limitless possibilities it's hard to know where to begin where to end and i don't know it spins out of control yeah and i and i like i really like boundaries and i feel like that forces you to think differently and and to push yourself it almost makes me feel like there's a way to subvert this question about how do you push yourself past good enough at, at a certain point you need to draw a line a boundary and say, that is good enough, and that's important. Like, if you endlessly try to push yourself past some idea of good enough, but you never define for yourself with a solid line what that is, whether it's because it's good enough because it's Saturday night at 1130, Mm -hmm. or it's good enough because 
I don't know, any other, usually time, I think it, that's the one that's worked best for me uh, as well and probably works best for most people. But because otherwise you can, you can always convince yourself that it's not good enough. That it still needs work. Yeah. And I think it's like, if you allow yourself also the, the room to iterate, mm-hmm. then I think you can turn in a version of whatever it is you're working on, knowing that you are going to refine it as you go. So mm-hmm. I think even time bounding the first prototype mm-hmm. <laughs> is really helpful. And, and they actually do that in in movies and television and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like the first cut is we have to turn it in and it's usually like the day after you you finish shooting and it's just an assembly of right. the hero uh, takes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone looks at it and then that's when the director gets a pass. Mm-hmm. Editors chime in, blah, 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 blah. Right. So they actually have that built into the process is mm-hmm. the time to have an imperfect first run at it. Yeah. So having that kind of structure of not only a timeline, but sort of a milestone attached to that timeline of Mm -hmm. we're going to have a rough cut by this amount Uh of time. We're going to have a fine cut by two weeks after that. And then we're going to have the final thing done. No one can touch it again two weeks after that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have another question about, so this, this central question of pushing past good enough has a lot to do with expectations. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes we put expectations on ourselves and then sometimes the world puts expectations on us. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you about that in terms of being a woman and a woman of color. There Mm -hmm. are different expectations that the world might put on you than the world would put on me Mm -hmm. as far as what's good enough. I I recognize I was born with an advantage because I'm white and I'm a man. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always curious what it's like to not be white, to not be a man. And so and in terms of like the expectations one puts on oneself or that the world puts on you, mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you think it makes a difference or maybe it doesn't? Well, I, I, I mean, it's everything, right? No one probably thought twice about whether you could be a successful actor, right? Based on my gender and race? No, of course not. The most successful <laughs> actors are. Yeah. yeah. And and there was nothing but resistance and doubt. And it wasn't even that like, um, it was just dismissive. It's just dismissive. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> you want to you wanna be an actor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to... You want to start a business? Wait. Okay. Sure. Who is saying Everybody that? in the world. Wow. All the time. Yeah. That's so different. It's so different. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anything that you want to do ever is not even that there's like a how dare you think that that's even a possibility. It's just, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. It's just so dismissive. And mm-hmm. it's so, um, I guess I, people always say, like, how do you, um, how are you not afraid of failure? And where do you get your fearlessness from? And I was mm-hmm. like, no one had any expectation of what I could be because I was just basically a zero. So I could pretty much do nothing but go up. 
So when the expectations are that low, then what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. By me just like walking through the door already, I've done a lot more than um, what was expected of me. Right. And I think, you know, then also being successful in this business that puts so much emphasis on appearance and Mm -hmm. everyone attributing your success to you must be this, you look like this, or you must know this person, or maybe you're hooking up with that person and that's why you are who you are. Mm -hmm. So then there's also people putting that on you and then attributing your success to those factors. So then I always had to overcompensate, right? Yeah. And, And try and prove that like, no one was handing me any job. I worked harder than anyone. I was mm-hmm. the most professional, the most on time, the most prepared, mm-hmm. and I uh, uh, had the most perseverance. Then that built in a very, um, probably like aggressive character mm-hmm. into how I operate in the world. Mm-hmm. Because then I had to not only create the thing that was never expected of me, And then I had to actually achieve it. And then the outside world thought that the only reason why I ever became successful were from these factors that are Mm -hmm. their way of understanding my success. Mm -hmm. And then me trying to overcompensate their judgments Mm -hmm. on how I got to where I was. Yeah. So how do you push through that when those expectations are leveled at you? You just ignore them? What do you do? I think they dry. I think that's what drove me. I was like, there aren't going to be more opportunities for Mexican girls in America if there are none to even look at. And so, by me being one person in the world that somebody can use in a sentence saying, oh, well, she blank. Mm-hmm. then at least that's one person doing one more thing than what was done before. I mean, I was always the only girl that looked like me in every casting room. It was all white girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not want to play into the stereotype that Hollywood put on Latinas and saying, you know, you had to be fiery and, 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 and irrational and pouty and, you know, these, mm-hmm. like, I guess, the way that they want to, care, you know, treat um, us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm an all-American girl living in the United States, mm-hmm. and I deserve to be here just as much as anyone else. And all the women that I know that are Mexican are leaders in their community. They are creative. They are mothers. They are intelligent. They are successful and unapologetic. And they're not these irrational, overly sexualized, you know, childlike women that that you want to perpetuate in Hollywood. And so I just never played those roles. Mm And I only played leading ladies. It sounds like a lot. And I actually was going after the leading man role. Yeah. I wasn't even concerned about the leading lady (laughs) role because I was like, huh, they don't write women very well. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They're so like, you know, what is it? Like one note. Yeah. um, Where the men always got, you know, they got to play more dynamic characters. So I was kind of more looking at 
men as as sort of like the goal. Right. Sounds like a lot of what was driving you was setting an example mm-hmm. for for others to open the door. Mm-hmm. Right. So then they other kids can see that they could be there. And, and you know, it's not just Mexican kids or brown kids. It's it's any other because there's so few people of color that are highlighted in these positions, whether it's in entertainment or in business, yeah. that we all sort of like, you know, we're attracted to each other. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Mm-hmm. So. That's, that's maybe another answer to the question of how do you push yourself to go past good enough is you, you seem to have had in your mind this example that you wanted to set for others and you were doing it on this grand scale you're doing work that thousands hundreds of thousands millions of people are experiencing but even for someone who might not be reaching an audience as wide as that you still might have someone in your mind that you're wanting to set an example for that drives you yeah and i think it's also just like to try and open a door for people to like see themselves Mm -hmm. you know and I think it's so important for people to see themselves in many different ways, you know, in government and business and entertainment. It mean, It's so meaningful to have, you know, the one Jennifer Lopez, mm-hmm. right? It's so meaningful for so many girls and boys to see her and see her be successful the way that she has been able to, to you know, defy the odds and pave her own path and... Mm-hmm and create what she's been able to create. It's so inspiring for so many people. Mm -hmm. I really like that answer. I have one more question, Mm -hmm. if you're up for it. Yeah. So this question about pushing yourself past good enough came from, uh, you know, from the internet. We get lots of questions. Some of them can inspire a whole conversation like this. Some of them are just odd or weird or off topic. Mm -hmm. And we've been having fun just trying to answer one of those at the end. You're down for an yeah, yeah. off-topic question? Yeah. All right. Okay, this question comes from Devin Beer from New Westminster, British Columbia in Canada. The question goes like this. There's another world that's completely habitable. We find this out through keen observation, though we can't see its surface and all that thrives there. Play along. We can go, but there are finite resources, which means one trip. Do we abandon Earth for the potential or stay? Oh, hell no. I'm not going. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah. I, I like my life here, too. Yeah. No way. Good answer. Good luck. Yeah, good, good, good. good luck with that one. <laughs> Devin Beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing, going to the moon and these like, oh, yeah, people are going to go to the moon the moon for yeah. whatever or millions Mars of or, yeah. whatever Mars that's mm-hmm. what it is the Mars trip mm-hmm. no thank you <laughs> I'll let them get good at sending people into space and coming back down once they're really good at it yeah then you know I'd be open to it but yeah. until they're good at it no thank you I mean just think of like all the different versions of transportation that were really wonky before they got like you know like the horse and carriage you know before you got to the automobile and even those early early ones yeah yeah a lot of danger a lot of danger yeah yeah no thank you no not worth the risk nope although i think we should teleport i think teleporting is like a pretty fun concept oh okay so if you could teleport to the other planet 
oh no, I don't want to go to another planet. I'm just talking. About, I just want to go to New York faster. Okay. <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much for doing yeah. this. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is our show, and that's our first season. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, of course, to our guest this episode, Jessica Alba. Thanks to the folks who asked this week's questions, Rochelle Connery. You can find her on the internet at AK is where it is at. And Devin Beer, which <laughs> is at Da Beer is here. D-A, Beer is here. And even though this is the last episode, um, you can continue the conversation. I love hearing feedback about these conversations that we're having. Uh, if you want to talk about it on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, hashtag creative processing, or ask a question. Good questions are always welcome. Or if you want to go deeper than chatting and you want to make something inspired by uh, some of these ideas, check out Hit Record. We're making art about uh, some of the things we talk about in these episodes drawing, writing, etc., etc., and go to hitrecord.org slash creativeprocessing. The producers of the Creative Processing Podcast are Lexi Tankersley and Raymond Way, audio produced by Keir Schmidt. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13 and everyone at the Hit Record office. And once again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Thanks again. 